Good morning. How's everyone doing today? For those of you who don't know me, my name is Branson Rose. A um, little bit about me. I was homeschooled my whole life. I played 10, 11 years of baseball, played football, soccer, basketball, swam, pretty much everything. Um, normally, you may recognize me from behind the piano because that's where I'm most comfortable at. I play during the last service um, every week. You know, even though I'm comfortable there, sometimes God calls us to come out of our comfort zone, and that's why I'm out here today speaking with y'all. So, um, let's see, referring to that video, I can't help but notice that we're called to be the but God moment in other people's lives. So, but God, what does that even mean? That, that basically means whatever you're doing, God enters the scene and you turn basically a 180 back around in the other direction. So I think we're called to get out of our comfort zones and be the but God moment for other people. So first off, I'm not a preacher, um, but I do know that God has called me to deliver this message to you today. And I'm honored to speak with everyone today. And it is my prayer that God can use me to bless you in some small way. So has anyone ever been in an awkward situation or an awkward moment or basically had the attention on you when you did something foolish or I don't know? A couple I can think of are... Maybe you're at school or at a park or something, and you see someone, and they're waving at you, and you, you turn around, and you, you smile and wave back, and then they get like this look of confusion on their face, and you turn around, and someone else, they were waving to the guy behind you, and now, now you're, you're kind of caught in between, like looking at both of them, and they're looking at you, so yeah. Another one, <laughs> another one is um, we all like to hold the door open for people, but you know, sometimes you're just not supposed to. Like, you'll hold the door open, and someone will be like three miles away, and they feel like they have to run to get through the door so they don't keep you waiting. Um, I, I remember a story my brother gave. Uh, he was at some banquet or something, and he was holding the door open for this girl, and she was like at the bottom of the stairs. So she felt like she needed to run up the stairs to like get to the door quicker. And she fell. <laughs> yeah, she fell. So that was kind of awkward for both of them. Um, yeah. How about family reunions? You know, you see these people once a year and pretty much have the same conversations with them every time. Um, how about a friend's family reunion? I've done that. Been to my friend's family reunion. Uh, I don't know a single soul except for my friend and maybe their parents. And I'm walking around trying to make sure everyone knows, like, no, I'm not, I'm not your relative. I'm just, I'm just here as a friend. Uh, so I'm going to tell a story about probably the first time I really came out of my comfort zone. So I was a rising ninth grader, and we were taking a 
trip to Boston, Massachusetts, because a church had recently started up, and they were having an event that weekend, and we were, you know, coming in, helping out that church, kind of getting them started. So our job was to basically hand out flyers throughout the streets and the park, and so I was like, okay, I can just walk by, here you go. Um, But the thing is, we actually had to talk to the people. It wasn't just like handing them information. So that, that was pretty uncomfortable for me. But the more I did it, the more comfortable I got. And it was going pretty well. But I, I came up to this one man who pretty much immediately had shot me down and criticized me for what I was saying and what I believed in and began asking me all kinds of questions I had absolutely no idea how to answer. And I'm not going to lie, I, I felt like a fool. I felt like a failure, like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I, luckily, my leader was nearby, um, and I was able to get him over there and answer some of the questions I didn't know how to. And as silly as it may sound, uh, that pretty much kind of put a lock on my ability to share my faith with other people. Because of that one moment, I basically went nowhere and was afraid to talk to anyone about my faith. And that all changed a couple years later. But in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul explains that um, he reminds the church of Ephesus of their past spiritual state. Now, why exactly does he do that? Don't you think they would know their life before they were saved? I think he uses this as a reminder to let people know that, hey, just because you're saved and you're comfortable where you're at, there's other people around the whole world that haven't heard the good news at all. And they're alone in the world. Because, I mean, we live in an unspiritual world. We're all We're all born unbelievers. It's an unbelieving world. So use this as a reminder to let everyone know that just because you're saved, other people aren't. So we still have a job to do on this earth. Um, He explains how and why we are saved and also gives a good definition of the word grace. And I think that's important for everyone to understand um, what grace really means. So... Um, If you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. It's kind of in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Thessalonians. Starting in verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and by nature were children under wrath, God's wrath. And the others were also. But God, but God, who is abundant in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive in the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. By grace you have been saved. Okay, so verse 1, we're dead in our sins. Now, what does that even mean? 
In Greek, the word dead translates to nekros, and that means um, literally dead body or corpse. And we know Paul isn't talking about our physical state because the church of Ephesus, they're all alive, they're not dead, but we know he's talking about our spiritual state. He's saying that the Ephesians were alive physically, but dead spiritually. So this comparison describes not only the nature of the unbeliever, but also the impossibility of an unbeliever you know, realizing and correcting his own condition. So just as a corpse cannot revive itself to life, neither can an unbeliever revive his own spirit to new life. Just as a corpse cannot revive itself to life, neither can an unbeliever revive his own spirit to life. In verse 2, Paul goes on to explain, you know, how and why, you know, we're all born sinners. And he explains, like, how we all begin our life on this earth. We know in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis that the fall of man, when Adam first sinned, you know, that's when sin entered the world, and that's when separation from God occurred. And we know that ever since then, we've all inherited sin from birth, that this is now an unbelieving world. And we know that God is now working in this unbelieving world. And spiritual deadness is a condition, and it finds its source in Satan, because Satan was the first to fall, and he influenced the fall of man in the garden. Today, Satan rules the hearts of those bound in spiritual deadness, and he uses his controlling influence through the fear of death. In verse 3, it says, We were once among them, following after our flesh and living according to this dead nature. Again, every Christian should understand that their former state is the same as any other unbeliever. That no one's born a Christian and we're all dead in our trespasses from birth and that we're all children of God's wrath. In verse 4, Paul presents why we were saved from the state of spiritual deadness. For God, him saving us, it was entirely his own. But God, being rich in mercy, had great love for us. He acted to save us. You know, we don't deserve his mercy. And, you know, we don't earn our salvation. It's all through him. And in verse 5, Paul presents how we were saved from this state of spiritual deadness. If you pay close attention to the beginning of the verse, he reminds us that even when we were dead, God made us spiritually alive in Christ. Now, the Bible is clear on the order of events that leads to our salvation. And God must act first in our life because men do not naturally seek God. In Romans Chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, it says, As it is written, not even one person is righteous, no one understands, no one searches for God. He must act first in our life because dead corpses cannot revive themselves. We need him to revive us. Now, as I'm reading these verses, it becomes pretty apparent as to 
how we get out of the state of spiritual deadness. You know, man, in our own wisdom, we've created many religions, false gods, uh, trying to fill that void. And some of us, we think that, oh, if we live a good life or do more good than bad, then we'll go wherever it is after death. But that's not the case because God requires us to be holy and we can't achieve that outside of Jesus Christ. And I think there's been something inside of us that knows there is a God, but we also know we don't measure up. And whether it's a religion we join or the money or the fame, nothing's going to fill that void. You know, someone may have all the money in the world. You know, every single person knows them. And they're rarely happy. They may go out and buy a brand new car and, you know, be happy for that day. But, I mean, it's not everlasting. It's just temporary. So, violence, suicide, drugs... That's what seems to plague America these days in the most successful. Did you know that in 2013, every 12.8 seconds, someone ended their own life? Isn't that just the worst thing ever? Because they know that they, they know something's missing and they hadn't found it. So if you've been looking for peace in your life today, there's only one answer. It's only through Jesus and you can find them today. Walk straight out those doors to the Fresh Start table. You know, ask, people, ask the people there any question you have. And they'll, they'll do their best to answer it. But for many of us in this room, we're already saved. And the real question is, what do we do with this undeserved grace and everlasting life? God knew that we would gravitate to a place where we feel comfortable you know, our own Christian bubble, our clique. It's easy to come in week in and week out, sit in the same chair, hang out with the same friends, you know, absorb the gospel. But what good are we really doing if we don't share that? You know, Paul, in, in Acts 1.8, you know, Jesus reminds the early church it says in Acts 1.8, But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we know we're basically supposed to go to the othermost parts of the earth and share the good news. Now, that doesn't mean literally you have to go to the other side of the world to be a witness. You can do it in your own state, community, country, household anywhere, because there's unbelievers everywhere. So I'm going to tell a story about when I went on a mission trip to Africa. It was about two years ago. I first heard about it, and pretty much the first thing I noticed was, oh, it's uh, $2,000. And pretty much immediately, I was like, oh, it's not for me. I don't have that kind of money. And it wasn't until a few months later, my dad had done a vision trip, and he came back, and I knew that I had been running from something, that I was called to go on this trip. So I immediately 
you know, began raising the money, but I knew with just a few months before the trip, there was no way I could make $2,000 working part-time at Chick-fil-A. And I'm sure many of you know that. Um, So I began sending out letters, and slowly but surely, I began raising money for the trip. And it was just a month or two before the deadline, and I'd raised just under half. And a verse came to me at this time, 2 Chronicles 15, 7. It says, But as for you, be strong and do not get discouraged, for your work will be rewarded. And anytime I began getting discouraged or felt worried I wouldn't have the money for the trip, I would just pray. And that peace would come upon me. And one day I received a check from my aunt. And inside the envelope there was one piece of paper. And I pulled that out and it was a note that was wishing me well on the trip. That I had safe travels and that I could make an impact for God. And I was actually very happy that she had taken the time to even write back to me. And so for some reason I looked back in that envelope and there was a check. And that check covered almost down to the exact dollar with what I had already raised the cost for the trip. And I just remember being overwhelmed that I was worry-free. I knew I was going on the trip I was called to go on. So to me, Africa was the farthest I could go to home, go away from home, and it's what I was called to do. So 24 hours on a plane and eight hours on a bus, I was headed to my destination in Keo, Mozambia. And 30 minutes before we reached our destination on the bus, we had a tire issue and had to pull over on the road in the middle of nowhere. Like, we're on a dirt road, complete darkness, haven't passed a car for an hour or two, and who knows what kind of animals are out there. And it should have been, it should have been a, a time of worry, but instead, it was just a time that I was relaxed because I was able to look up in the sky and see millions and billions of stars. Now, I've been here in the States and looked up and seen, like, millions of stars, but you, know, you don't get to see all of them because of the cities and the malls nearby. Their lights are like blocking God's creation. But in Africa, in the complete darkness, I was able to see so many more stars than I have been able to. And at that time, I just felt at peace. So the rest of that week, we spent uh, doing kind of a vacation Bible school with the kids And in the evenings, we would do uh, door-to-door evangelism. And that was pretty much the first time I had gotten, you know, spoken to someone about my faith since Boston. And just to see the joy and the tears on their faces and the happiness of us coming to their country and sharing God's good news, I broke right through those chains that I had been, that had been holding me back, keeping, keeping me from talking about my faith. So I just, that was just very powerful. And now there's nothing holding me back.
Back to Ephesians. Thank you. Back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. So we're saved by grace. And we know that this grace is an undeserved gift. And when the time came for God to deliver us his grace, he delivered it through faith. Okay? So I found this very powerful statement. It says, our faith was not the means by which we received grace. Instead, grace was the means by which we received faith. I'm going to say it again because it's kind of confusing. Um, Our faith was not the means by which we received grace. Instead, grace was the means by which we received faith. So once again, dead corpses cannot revive themselves. We need God to revive us. And God gave us his grace through faith. In Psalm uh, chapter 50, verse 6, it says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen? If not us, then who? I want to close with this verse in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this time we have to gather here today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak these men and women today. Now, I pray if there's anyone at all who feels like they're being held back, that they're being binded by chains for speaking about their faith, that you will just take those chains away. And I pray you were able to use me to bless these people today in some small way. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I want to end with a challenge. Yeah, let's make it our goal this week to be comfortable doing the uncomfortable. Thank you. All right, well, thank you, Branson. And uh, man, it's been an incredible day here at the Heights. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Will. I am the youth pastor here, and I have the privilege of uh, leading these uh, young men and women. And they've done such an incredible job. We've had teens uh, serve all capacities, lead life groups through children's parking lot, uh, greeters all over the church today. So they've done an incredible job. Say thank you to them when you see them. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, I want to invite you, uh, you know, Ephesians 2, 4, you know, says, but God who is rich in mercy made us alive. Um, you know, when God enters the scene, as Branson was talking about, you know, things change. And, and our outlook in life change, and our hope change, and, and our direction in life changes. And, and uh, you might be here today just kind of, man, at that place in life, I mean, you just need God to enter the scene. Um, maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you need to, um, you've never accepted the grace that God has given you uh, with you being dead in your sins. And you just need to talk to someone about that. We have a uh, fresh start table out as you head directly out these doors in the back. We have some folks back there that would love to talk to you and pray with you.
maybe you got out of your comfort zone a little bit today and you came to church for the first time. Uh, we want to say thank you. And uh, on your worship guide, we have a guest card you can fill out. Uh, take that back to them, and they have a gift uh, that they will give you as a, uh, as a thank you for being here with us today. And uh, we also have information back there uh, on our different ministries and happenings uh, within the church. And then also, if you're uh, uh, maybe at the point you uh, want to follow through in Believer's Baptism, uh, or join this body of believers as we seek to uh, impact the world for Jesus Christ. Uh, those would be the people you want to talk to uh, as to your next steps. Uh, but we're going to end in a worship song today. And so I'm going to invite you guys to stand. I'm going to pray. And then I'll turn it back over to our youth band. God, thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that you have given us grace even when we don't deserve it. God, when you enter the scene, it changes things. God, it changes the way we live our life. It changes the way we view the world. And God, I pray that we can walk out of here being uncomfortable doing what you had called us to do. God, that we can be that but God moment in other people's life. God, your grace has broken the chains. It's given us freedom. And for that, God, we praise you so much. In your son's name we do pray. Amen.